Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB FM in Santa Barbara 91.9. I'm Hannah Wolf. Today, I'll be reading The Conquest of Gola by Leslie Stone, which was first published in Wonder Stories, April of 1931. I'm also going to be playing some avant-garde music from 1929, the year she published her first story. I typically try to do music from the same year, but I switch stories kind of last minute. Um, So, we're doing 1929. Uh, Leslie Francis Stone... Silberberg was born in 1905 and wrote science fiction for about a decade, writing 20 stories. She was one of four women publishing science fiction in pulp magazines in 1929. The first female um, who, woman who published under her own name was in 1928, or under a fem- female name. Uh, the story I'll be reading today was one of her earlier ones and her most well-known story. Uh, It's particularly interesting because it is a very overtly feminist story for the genre in 1931. Um, In the Westerlin Anthology of Science Fiction, the story is described as one that also addresses another early science fiction trope, the sex reversal story. From the pens of male writers, this trope has tended to result in stories about domineering women who are tamed by brutally irresistible male protagonists. Stone's telepathic women are not so easily seduced. So, I'll start that in a second. of Gola by Leslie F. Stone. Ola, my daughters, signed the matriarch. It's true indeed, I am the only living one upon Gola who remembers the invasion from Detaxel. I alone of all my generation survive to recall vividly the sights and scenes of the past era. And well it is that you come to me to hear by free communication of mind to mind, face to face with each other. Ah well, I remember the surprise of that hour when through the mists, the enshroud of our lovely world, they swarmed the first of the great smooth cylinders of Dictaxolins, 50 tasks in length and glistening and silverly as the soil of our land, propelled by the man-things that on Detaxel are supreme, even as we women are supreme on Gola. In those bygone days, and now, as now, Gola was enwrapped by her cloud mists that kept from us the terrific glare of that great star that glows like a malignant spirit out there in the darkness of the void. Only occasionally, when a particularly great storm parts the mists of heaven, do we see the wonders of the vast universe. 
But that does not prevent us with our marvelous telescopes handed down to us from thousands of generations before us, from learning what lies across the dark sea of the outside. Therefore, we knew of the nine planets that encircled the great star and are subject to its rule. And so are we familiar enough with the surfaces of these planets to know why Gola should appear as a haven to their inhabitants who see in our cloud-enclosed mantle a sweet release from the blasting heat and blinding glare of the great sun. So it was not strange at all to us to find that the people of Detaxel, the third planet of the sun, had arrived on our globe with a wish in their hearts to migrate here and end their days out of reach of the blistering warmth that had come to be their lot on their own world. Long ago, too, might have gone on exploring expeditions to other worlds, other universes, but for what? Are we not happy here? We who have attained the greatest of civilizations within the confines of our own silvery world, powerfully strong with our mighty force rays, we could subjugate all the universe. But why? Are we not content with life as it is, with our lovely cities, our homes, our daughters, our gentle consorts? Why special physical energies in combative strife for something we do not wish, when our mental processes carry us further and beyond the conquest of mere terrestrial exploitation. On Detaxel it is different, for there the people, the ennoble male creatures, breed for physical prowess, leaving the development of their sciences, their philosophies, and the contemplation of the abstract to a chosen few. The greater part of the race fares forth to conquer, to lay waste, to struggle and fight as the animals do over a morsel of worthless territory. Of course, we can see why they desire Gola with all its treasures, but we can thank Providence and ourselves that they did not succeed in commercializing us as they had the remainder of the universe with their ignoble federation. Ah, yes, well, I recall the hour when first they came, pushing cautiously through the cloud mists, seeking that which lay beneath. We of Gola were unwarned until the two cylinders hung directly above Tola, the greatest city of that time which still lies in its ruins since that memorial day. But they have paid for it, paid for it well, in thousands and tens of thousands of their men. We were first apprised of their coming when the alarms from Tola was sent out from the great beam station there advising all to stand in readiness for an emergency. Gebel, my mother, was then queen of all Gola, and I was by her side in Morka, that pleasant seaside resort where I shall soon travel again to partake of its rejuvenating waters. Within us were four 
Gebel consorts, sweet gentle males, that gave Gebel much pleasure in these free hours away from the worries of state. But when the word of the strangers descended over our home city, Tola, came to us, all else was forgotten. With me at her side, Gebel hasted to the beam station, and there, in a matter of transmitter, we dispatched our physical beings to the palace at Tola. And the next moment, we're staring upward at the two strange shapes etched against the clouds. What the, the Detaxilin ships were waiting for, we did not know then, but we later learned. Not grasping the meaning of our beam stations, the commandants of the ships considered the city below them entirely lacking in means of defense and were conferring on the method of taking it without bloodshed on either side. It was not long after our arrival in Tola that the first of the ships began to descend toward the great square before the palace. Gebel watched without a word, her great mind already scanning the brains of those whom she found within the great machine. She transferred to my mind but a single thought as I stood there at her side, and that, with a sneer, barbarians. Now the ship was settling in the square, and after a few moments of hesitation, a circular doorway appeared at the side, and four of the detaxelins came through the opening. The square was empty but for themselves and their flyer, and we saw them looking about, surveying the beautiful buildings on all sides. They seemed to recognize the palace for what it was, and in one accord moved in our direction. Then Gebel left the window at which we stood and strode to the doorway, opening upon the balcony that faced the square. The detaxelins halted in their tracks when they saw her slender, graceful form appear and removing the strange coverings they wore on their heads, they each made a bow. Again, Gebel sneered, for only the male things of our world would bow their heads. And so she recognized these visitors for what they were, nothing more than the despicable males of the species. And what creatures they wore, Imagine a short, almost flat body set high upon two slender legs, the body tapering in the middle, several times as broad across as it is through the center, with two arms almost as long as the legs attached to the upper part of the torso, a small column-like neck of only a few inches divides the head of oval shape from the body. And in this head only are set the organs of sight, hearing, and scent. Their bodies were like a patchwork of a misguided nature. Yes, strange as it is, my daughters, practically all of the creature's faculties had their base in the small, ungainly head, and each organ was perforce pressed in servicing for several functions. For instance, the breathing nostrils also served for scenting out odors, 
nor was this organ able to exclude any disagreeable odors that might come its way, but had to dispense to the brain both pleasant and unpleasant odors at the same time. Then there was the mouth set directly beneath the nose, and here again we had an example of one organ doing the work of two, for the creature not only used the mouth with which to take in food for its body, but it also used the mouth to enunciate the excruciatingly ugly sounds of its language forthwith. Guests from Detaxel Never before have I seen such poorly organized body, so unlike our own highly developed organisms, how much nicer it is to be able to call forth any organ at will and dispense with it when its uselessness is over. Instead, these poor detaxalans had to carry theirs about in physical being all the time so that always was the surface of their bodies entirely marred. Yet, that was not the only part of their ugliness and proof of the lowliness of their origin. For whereas our fine bodies supported themselves by muscular development, these poor creatures were dependent entirely upon a strange structure to keep them in their proper shape. Imagine, if you can, a bony skeleton somewhat like the foundations upon which we build our edifices, laying stone and cement over the steel framework. But this skeleton instead is inside a body, which the flesh, muscles, and skin overlay. Everywhere in their bodies are these cartilaginous structures, hard, heavy, bony structures developed by the chemicals of the being for its use. Even the hands and feet and head of the creatures were underlaid with these bones. Ugh, it was terrible when we dissected one of the fellows for study. I shudder to think of it. Yet again, there was still another feature of the detaxalans that was equally as horrifying as the rest, namely their outward covering. As we viewed them for the first time out there in the square, we discovered that parts of the body, that is the part of the head which they call the face, and the bony hands were entirely naked without any sort of covering, neither fore nor feathers, just the raw pinkish-brown skin looking as if it had been recently plucked. Later, we found a specimen that had a type of fur on the lower part of its face, but these were rare. And when they doffed the head coverings, which we had first taken for some sort of natural covering, we saw that the tops of the head was overlaid with a very fine fuzz of fur several inches long. We did not know in the beginning that the strange covering on the bodies of the four men, green in color, was not natural growth, but later discovered that such was the truth. And not only the face and the hands were bare of fur, but the entire body, except for a fine sprinkling of hair that was 
scarcely visible except on the chest, was also bare. No wonder the poor things covered themselves with their awkward clothing. We arrived at the conclusion that their lack of fur had been brought about by the fact that always they had been exposed to bright rays of the sun so that without the dampness of our own planet the fur had dried up and fallen away from the flesh. Now thinking it over, I suppose that we of Gola presented strange form to the people of Detaxel, with our fine circular bodies round at the top, our short, beautiful lower limbs with the circular foot pads, and our short, round arms and hand pads, flexible and muscular like rubber. But how envious they must have been of our beautiful golden coats, our movable eyes, our power to scent, hear, and touch with any part of the body, to absorb food and drink through any part of the body, most convenient to us at any time. Oh yes, laugh as though you may. Without a doubt, we were also freaks to those freakish detaxelins. But no matter, let us return to the tale. On recognizing our visitors for what they were, simple-minded males, Gebel was chagrined at them for taking up her time. But they were strangers to our world, and we of Golan are always courteous. Gebel began, of course, to try to communicate by thought transference, but strangely enough, the fellows below did not catch a single thought. Instead, entirely unaware of Gebel's overture to friendship, the leader commenced to speak to her in the most outlandish manner, contorting the red lips of his mouth into various uncouth shapes and making sounds that fell upon our hearing so unpleasantly that we immediately closed our senses to them. And without a word, Gebel turned her back upon them, calling for Tonka, her personal secretary. Tonka was instructed to welcome the Detaxelins, while she herself turned to her own chambers to summon half a dozen of her council. When the council arrived, she began to discuss with them the problem of extracting more of the precious tenex from the waters of the great inland lake of Nutouch. Nothing, whatever, was said of the advent of the Detaxelins, for Gebel had dismissed them from her mind as creatures not worthy of her thought. In the meantime, Tonka had gone forth to meet the four who, of course, could not converse with her. In accordance with the Queen's orders, she read them indoors to the most informal receiving chamber, and there had them served with food and drink, which, by the looks of the remains in their dishes, they did not relish at all. Leading them through the rooms of the lower floor of the palace, she made a pretense of showing them everything which they duly surveyed. But they appeared to chafe at the manner in which they were being entertained. 
The creatures even made an attempt through the primitive method of conversing by their arms to learn something of what they had seen. But Tonka was as supercilious as her mistress. When she thought they had had enough, she led them to the square and back to the door of their flyer, giving them their dismissal. But the men were not ready to accept it. Instead, they tried to express to Tonka their desire to meet the ruling head of Gola, although their hand's motions were perfectly inane and incomprehensible. Tonka could read what passed through their brains and understood more fully than they what lay in their minds. She shook her head and motioned that they were to embark in their flyer and be on their way back to their planet. Again and again the Detaxlans tried to explain what they wished, thinking Tonka did not understand. At last she impressed upon their savage minds that there was nothing for them but to depart, and disgruntled by her treatment they re-entered their machine, closed its ponderous door, and raised their ship to the level of its sister flyer. Several minutes passed, and then, with thanksgiving, we saw them pass over the city. Told this, Gebel laughed. To think of mere man-things daring to attempt to force themselves upon us. What is the universe coming to? What are their women back home considering when they sent them to us? Have they developed too many males, and they, they think that we can find use for them? She wanted to know. It is strange indeed, observed Yabo, one of the council members. What did you find in the minds of these ennoble creatures, O August One? Nothing of particular interest, a very low grade of intelligence, to be sure. There was no need of looking below the surface. It must have taken intelligence to build those ships. None aboard them did that. I don't question it, but their mothers built the ships for them as playthings, even as we given toys to our little ones, you know. I recall that the ancients of our world perfected several types of space flyers many ages ago. Maybe those males do not have mothers, but instead they build the ships themselves. Maybe they are the stronger sex on their world. This last was said by Suki, the fifth concert of Gebel. A pretty little male, rather young in years. No one had noticed him coming into the chamber, but now everyone showed their surprise at his words. Impossible, ejaculated Yabo. Gebel, however, laughed at the little chap's expression. Suki is a profound thinker, she observed, still laughing, and she drew him to her gently, hugging him. A nice business deal. And with that, the subject of the men from Detaxel was closed. It was reopened, however, several hours later, when it was learned that instead of leaving Gola altogether, the ships were seen one after another by the various cities of the planet as they circumnavigated it. It was rather annoying, for everywhere the city's routines were broken up as the people dropped their work and 
studies to gaze at the cylinders. Two, it was upsetting the morale of the males, for on learning that the two ships contained only creatures of their own sex, they were becoming envious, wishing for the same type of playthings for themselves. Shut in as they are, unable to grasp the profoundities of our science and thought, the gentle, fun-loving males were always glad for a new diversion, and this new method of developed by the detaxalans had intrigued them. It was then that Gebel decided it high time to take matters into her own hands. Not knowing where the two ships were at the moment, it was not difficult with the object finder beam to discover, discover their whereabouts, and then with the attractor to draw them to Tola magnetically. An oose later, we had the pleasure of seeing the two ships rushing towards our city. When they arrived about it, power brought them down to the square again. Again, Tonka was sent out and directed the commanders of the two ships to follow her in to the queen. Knowing the futility of attempting to converse with them without mechanical aid, Gebel caused to be brought her three of the ancient mechanical thought transformers that are only museum pieces to us, but still workable. The two men were directed to place them on their heads while she donned a third. When this was done, she ordered the creatures to depart immediately for Gola, telling them that she was tired of their play. Watching the faces of the two, I saw them frowning and shaking their heads. Of course I could read their thoughts as well as Gebel without need of the Transformers, since it was only for their benefit that these were used. So I heard the whole conversation, though I need only to give you the gist of it. We have no wish to leave your world as yet, the two had argued. You're disrupting the routine of our lives here, Gebel told them, and now that you've Seeing all that you can, there is no need for you to stay any longer. I insist that you leave immediately. I saw one of the men smile, and thereupon he was the one who did all the talking. I say talking, for this is what he was actually doing, mouthing each one of his words, although we understood his thoughts as they formed in his queer brain, so different from ours. Listen, he laughed. I don't get the hang of you people at all. We came to Gola. He used some outlandish name of his own, but I'll use our name, of course. With the express purpose of exploration and exploitation, we come as friends. Already, we are in alliance with Damon. Again, the name for the fourth planet of our system was different, but I give the correct appellation. Establish com commerce and trade, and now we are ready to offer you the chance to join our Federation peacefully. What we... What we have seen of this world is very favorable. There are good prospects for business here. There's no reason why you people as those of Damon and Detaxel cannot enter into a nice business 
arrangement congenially. You have far more here to offer tourists, more than Damon. Why, except for your clouds, this would be an ideal paradise for every man, woman, and child on Detaxel and Damien to visit. And of course, with our new cloud dispersers, we could clear your atmosphere for you in a short order and keep it that way. Why, you'll make millions in the first year of your trade. Come on now, allow us to discuss this with your ruler, king, whatever you call him. Women are all right in their place, but it takes the men to see the profit of a thing like this. Er, you are a woman, aren't you? The first of his long speech, of course, was so much gibberish to us, with his prat of business arrangements, commerce and trade, tourists, profits, cloud dispensers, and whatnot. But it was the last part of what he said that took my breath away, and you can imagine how it affected Gebel. I could see straight away that she was intensely angered, and good reason, too. By the looks of the silly fellow's face, I could guess that he was getting the full purport of her thoughts. He began to shuffle his funny feet, and a foolish grin pervaded his face. Sorry, he said, if I insulted you. I didn't intend that, but I believed that man holds the same place here as he does on Detaxel and Damon. But I suppose it is just as possible for woman to be the ruling factor of a world as man is elsewhere. That speech naturally made Gebel more irate, and tearing off her thought transformer, she left the room without another word. In a moment, however, Yabo appeared wearing the transformer in her place. Yabo had none of the beauty of my mother, for whereas Gebel was slender as a straight as a rod, Yabel was a beast and her fat body overflowed until she looked like a large dumpy bundle of yat held together in her furry skin. She had very little dignity as she waddled towards the Taxilans, but there was determination in her whole manner. And without preliminaries, she began to scold the two things as though they were her own consorts. There's been enough of this, my fine young men, she saw, shot at them. You have your fun, and now it is time for you to return to your mothers and consorts. Shame on you for making up such miserable tales about yourselves. I have good mind to take you home with me for a couple of days, and I'd put you in your place quick enough. The idea of men acting like you are. For a moment, I thought the Detlaxelins were going to cry, but the faces they made... But instead, they broke into laughter, such heathenish sounds as never had been before heard on Gola, and I listened in wonder instead of excluding it from my hearing. But the fellows sobered quickly enough that, and the spokesman addressed the shocked Yabu. I see, he said, it is impossible for your people and mine to arrive at an understanding peacefully. 
I'm sorry that you take us for children out on a space spree, that you are accustomed to such low type of men as is, as is evidently your lot here. I have given you your chance to accept our terms without force, but since you refuse under the orders of the Federation, I will have to take you forcibly, for we are determined that Gola become one of us, if you like it or not. Then you will learn that we are not the children you believe us to be. You may go to your supercilious queen. Now, and advise her that we give you exactly ten hours in which to evacuate this city, for precisely on that hour we will lay this city in ruins, and if that does not suffice you, we will do the same with every other city on the planet. Remember, ten hours. And with that, he took the mechanical thought transformer from his head and tossed it on the table. His companions did the same, and the two of them strode out of the room and to their flyers, which arose several thousand feet above Tola and remained there. This is Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB-FM in Santa Barbara, 91.9. I'm Hannah Wolf. I'm currently reading The Conquest of Gola from Wonder Stories, which was first published in April of 1931. Now back to the story. The Triumph of Gola. Hurrying into Gebel, Yabu told her what the Detaxalans had said. Gebel was reclining on her couch and did not bother to raise herself. Childish prattle, she conceded, and withdrew her red eyes on the movable stems in their pockets, paying no more heed to the threats of the men from Detaxal. I, however, could not be as calm as my mother, and I was fearful that it was not childish prattle at all, not knowing how long ten hours might be. I did not wait, but crept up to the palace beams station and set its dials so that the entire building and much of the surrounding territory it could cover was protected in the force zone. Alas, that the same beam was not greater, but it had not been put there for defense, only for matter transference, and whatever other peacetime methods we used. It was the means of providing just the same that it was also a very good defensive instrument. For just two ooze later, the hovering ships above let loose their powers of destruction, heavy explosives that entirely demolished all of Tola and its millions of people, and only the palace royal of all that beauty was left standing awakened from her nap by the terrific detonation Gebel came hurriedly to the window to view the ruin and she was wild with grief at what she saw Gebel however saw that there was urgent need for action she knew without my telling her what I had done to protect the palace and though she showed no sign of appreciation, 
I knew I had won a greater place in her regard than any of her many daughters, and would henceforth be her favorite as well as her successor, as the case turned out. Now with me behind her, she hurried to the beam station, and in a twinkling we were both in Tubula, the second greatest city that time. Nor were we to be caught napping again, for Gebel ordered all beam stations to throw out their zone forces, while she herself manipulated one of Tuba's greatest power beams, attuning it to the emaciations of the two Italian flyers. In less than an ooh, the two ships were seen through the mists heading for Tuba. For a moment I grew fearful, but on realizing that they were after all in our grip, and the attractors held every living thing powerless against movement, I grew calm and watched them come over the city and the beam pull them to the ground. With the beam still upon them, they lay supine on the ground without motion, Descending to the square, Gebel called for the Ray Sea, and when the machine arrived, she herself directed the cutting of the hole in the side of the flyer, and was the first to enter it, with me immediately behind, as usual. We were both astounded by what we saw of the great array of machinery within, but a glance told Gebel all she wanted to know of their principles. She interested herself only in the men standing rigidly in whatever position our beam had caught them. Only the eyes of the creatures expressed their fright, poor things, unable to move so much as a hair while we moved among them untouched by the power of the beams because of their strength of our own minds." They could have fought against it if they had known how, but their simple minds were too weak for such exercise. Now glancing among the stiff forms around us, of which there were one thousand, Gebel picked out those of the males she desired for observation, choosing those she judged to be their finest specimens, those with much hair on their faces and having more girth than the others. These she ordered removed by several workers who followed us, and then we emerged again to the outdoors. Using hand-beam torches, the picked specimens were kept immobile after they were out of reach of the greater beam and were born into the laboratory of the building Gebel had converted into her new palace. Gebel and I followed, and she gave the order for the complete annihilation of the two powerless ships. Thus ended the first foray of the people of Detaxel, and for the next two tells there was peace upon our globe again. In the laboratory, the 30 who had been rescued from their ships were given thorough examinations, both physically and mentally, and we learned all there was to know about them. Hearing of the destruction of their ships, most of the creatures had become frightened 
and were quite docile in our hands. Those that were unruly were used in the dissecting room for the advancement of Golan knowledge. After a complete study of them, which yielded little we lost interest in them scientifically, Gebel, however, found some pleasure in having the poor creatures around her and kept three of them in her own chambers so she could delve into their brains as she pleased. The others she dolled out to her favorites as she saw fit. The one she gave to me to act as a slave or in what capacity I desired him. But my interest in him soon waned, especially since I had now come of age and was allowed to have two consorts of my own and go about the business of bringing my daughters into the world. My slave I called John and gave him complete freedom of my house. If only we had foreseen what was coming, we would have annihilated every one of them immediately. It did not please me later to find that John was learning our language and finding a place in my household, making friends with my two shut-in consorts. But I have said I paid little attention to him. So life went on smoothly without scarcely a change. After the destruction of the ships of Detaxel. But that did not mean we were unprepared for more. Gebel reasoned that there would be more ships forthcoming when the Detaxelans found that their first two did not return. So although it was sometimes inconvenient, the zones of force were kept upon our cities. And Gebel was right. For the day came when dozens of flyers descended upon Gola from Detaxel. But this time the zones of force did not hold them since the zones were not in operation. And we were unwarned, for when they descended upon us, our world was sleeping, confident that our zones were our protection. The first indication that I had of trouble brewing was when, awakening, I found the ugly form of John bending over me. Surprised, for it was not his habit to arouse me, I started up, only to find his arms about me, embracing me. And how strong he was! For the moment, a new emotion swept me. For the first time, I knew the pleasure to be had in the arms of a strong man. But the emotion was short-lived, for I saw in the blue eyes of my slave that he had recognized the look in my eyes for what it was, and for the moment he was tender. Later, I was to grow angry when I thought of that expression of his, for his eyes filled with pity, pity for me. But pity did not stay. Instead, he grinned, and the next instant... He was binding me down to my couch with a strong rope. Gebel, I learned later, had been treated as I, as were the members of the council and every other woman in Gola. That was what came of allowing our men to meet on common ground with the creatures from Detaxel, for a weak mind is open to seeds of rebellion, and the Detaxelans had sown it well, promising dominance to the lesser creatures of Gola. That, however, was only part of the plot. 
of the Detaxalans. They were determined not only to revenge those we had murdered, but also to gain mastery of our planet. Unnoticed by us, they had constructed a machine which transmits sound as we transmit thought, and by its means had communicated with their own world, advising them of the very hour to strike when all of Gola was slumbering. It was a masterful stroke. Only they did not know the power of the mind of Gola, so much more ancient than theirs. Lying there bound on my couch, I was able to see out the window, and trembling with terror, I watched half a dozen Detaxalans flyers descend into Tuba. Guessing that the same was happening in our other cities, I was truly frightened, for, did not, for I did not have the brain of Gebel. I was young yet, and in fear I watched the hordes march out of their machines, saw the thousands of men join them. Free from restraint, the shut-ins were having their holiday, and how they cavorted out in the open, most of the time getting in the way of the freakish detaxalans who were certainly taking over our city. A half oos passed while I lay there watching, waiting in fear at what detaxalans planned to do with us. I remembered the pleasant, happy life we had, we had led up to the present and trembled over what the future might be with the Detaxalans had infested us with commerce and trade, business propositions, tourists, and all of their evil practices. It was then that I received the message from Gebel, clear and definite, just as all women of the globe received it, and hope returned to my heart. There began the Titanic struggle, the fight for supremacy, the fight that won us victory over the simple-minded weaklings below who had presumptuously dared to conquer us. The first indication that the power of our combined mental concentrations at Gebel's orders was taking effect was when we saw the first of our males halt in their wild dance of freedom. They tried to shake us off, but we knew we could bring them back to us. At first, the Detaxalans paid them no heed. They knew not what was happening until there came the wholesale retreat of the Golan men back to the buildings, back to the chambers from which they had escaped. They grasped something of what was happening. The already defeated invaders sought to retain their hold of our little people. Our erstwhile captives sought to hold them with oracle gestures, but of course we won. We saw our creatures return to us and unbind us. Only the Detaxalans did not guess the significance of that, did not realize that inasmuch we had conquered our own men, we could conquer them also. And they went about their work of making our city their own, establishing already their autocratic bureaus wherever they pleased. We began to concentrate upon them, hypnotizing them to the flyers, 
that had disgorged them. And soon they began to feel our power, the weakest ones first, feeling the mental bewilderment creeping upon them. Their leaders, stronger in mind, knew nothing of this at first. But soon our terrible combined mental power was forced upon them also, and they realized that their men were deserting them, crawling back to their ships. The leaders began to exhort them in a new action, driving them physically. But our power gained on them, and now we began to concentrate upon the leaders themselves. They were strong of will, and they defied us, fought us, mind against mind. But of course it was useless. Their minds were not suited to the test they put themselves to. And after almost three oohs of struggle, we of Gola were able to see victory ahead. At last, the leaders succumbed. Not a single detaxalan was abroad in the avenues. They were within their flyers, held there by our combined wills, unable to act for themselves. It was then as easy for us to switch the zones of force upon them, subjugate them more securely, and with the Annihilator began to disintegrate completely every ship and man into nothingness. Thousands upon thousands died that day, and Gola was indeed revenged. Thus, my daughters, ended the second invasion of Gola. Oh yes, more came from their planet to discover what had happened to their ships and their men, but we of Gola no longer hesitated, and they no sooner appeared beneath the mists than they were too annihilated, until the last of Daxel gave up the thought of conquering our cloud-laden world. Perhaps in the future they will attempt it again, but we are always in readiness for them now, and our men, well, they are still the same ineffectual weaklings, my daughters. That was The Conquest of Gola by Leslie Stone, which was first published in Wonder Stories, April of 1931.
been Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB FM in Santa Barbara, 91.9. I'm Hannah Wolf. Uh, so today we heard a, a short story by Leslie Stone called The Conquest of Gola, which was first published in Wonder Stories, April of 1931. Uh, I played music from 1929, which was the year her first story was published. So, right now, in the background, we've been listening to Alban Berg's Der Wine, conducted by Schurchen, uh, played by the Symphony Orchestra des Bayerstück Rundfunks with the soprano vocal Anilis Cooper. Uh, and then I'll go through the music from the top of the hour. Sorry I didn't announce throughout the show, but it's kind of a long story, so wanted to make sure we got that all in. Uh, the first song that was played was Schoenberg's Klavenstuck, OP39A, played by Wolfgang Mombar. Uh, an interesting thing about this that piece was that it uses um, Schoenberg's 12-tone technique um, and it, it this, that piece showed the uh, the development of it from its initial conception uh, after that we heard Stefan Schlecker Matcher perform Granites, which was composed by Dane Rudyar. That was followed by Cloches de Dangogosi et 
Larmes de Dieu, or Bells of Anguish and Tears of Farewell, from Preludes for Piano, composed by Oliver Messin. Sorry, I butchered that French. Um, and performed by Hakan Outspo. And that's actually a series of nine pieces, nine preludes, and that was uh, one of the lighter ones. Um, that was followed by the live performance of Ernest Kovacci and Anasi Cartuni at the 13th Essenjurg International Chamber Music Festival, performing Hector Villalobos' Charles Bis for violin and cello. And after that, we heard Symphonia Brivas by John J. Becker, performed by the Louisville Orchestra. So that's our show today. It's been great to have you at our new time. <laughs> 